Of course, that's important too. The historicity is very important. But Jesus is not just someone to know about. He is someone to be known by. He is someone to know. This is what we find. Who do you say that I am? Hello and welcome to Not So Secular. My name is Mon Reyes and I'll be your host here today. We're going to do a bit of a mini Bible study in this episode. What I'd like to do with you is I'd like to go through the Gospel of Mark, the entire thing, but with a specific focus. Particularly, we want to focus on the many instances when John the Baptist either appears or is mentioned. Why are we doing this, you might ask? If you remember from a previous episode, we talked about the value of identifying patterns when reading scripture, taking notice of repeated words, repeated sequences of events, repeated themes, and how these repeated elements were used particularly by the biblical authors in order to refer to one another and build on what one another has said. That is how the Bible was written. They were, in a sense, hyperlinking to one another's stories in order to imbue that specific event or that specific retelling of a story with deeper meaning. It's a literary device that they made use of during their time. So, paying attention to these different Repeated elements can help us tie together the different parts of the scriptures and see better how it is telling one unified story. Na hindi siya kanya-kanya. It doesn't exist um, separately from one another. While at the same time allowing us to understand deeper what these authors are trying to say. Kumbaga, watching Star Wars Episode 3, Revenge of the Sith, might be fine to do, you know, watching it by itself. But if you've seen Episodes 4, 5, 6, and 1, 2 before watching 3, then you get a better picture of what is happening. Then you make the connections. Ah, okay, so this is what this is all about. It's kind of a similar idea. Diba? These different stories build up on one another and help give context to one Another. If you haven't listened to that episode yet, I'm going to link to it in the description so that you could do that first. The idea behind this episode came from a question that someone asked me several weeks ago, and it has to do with a passage. He was asking, what was the point of this passage? And that passage is Mark chapter 6, verses 14 to 29. It is a passage when Herod hears of Jesus, who was already growing in popularity because Jesus has already started his teaching and preaching and healing ministry during this time. And Herod hears of him, and different things were said about who this guy might be. Herod thinks about it also, upon hearing about Jesus, and he makes the conclusion that this might be John the Baptist. He has come back from the dead to haunt me. And then right after that passage, we see uh, uh, some sort of a flashback diba, on when Herod had John the Baptist killed. That's basically what the passage is about. And I want to read it to you for us to get a better idea of what is said here. 
I'll only read to you the first part and then we'll summarize the second part. Mark chapter 6, verses 14 to 18. King Herod heard of it, for Jesus' name had become renowned. And some people were saying, John the Baptist has been raised from the dead. That is why such powers are at work in him. But others said he is Elijah, while still others proclaimed he is a prophet, like one of the prophets of old. But when Herod heard of it, he said, John, whom I beheaded, has been raised from the dead. It was this same Herod who had ordered John to be arrested and put in chains in prison on account of Herodias, his brother Philip's wife, because Herod had married her. For John had told Herod, It is unlawful for you to have your brother's wife. So that's the first part of the passage. We are introduced to Herod. He thinks of Jesus in connection to John the Baptist. And the reason why he thinks this way is because he is reminded of his wife, Herodias, who was also his brother's wife. And because the two of them shared the same wife, John the Baptist called them out for it. And that's why he had John the Baptist imprisoned and later on killed. After this passage, we see a flashback of what happened, how it led, how the circumstances led to John the Baptist being killed by Herod. We are shown a party where there were different guests joined together. Herod was there, Herodias was there, and Herodias' daughter was there also. Her daughter performed a dance in front of everyone, which delighted the people, delighted Herod particularly. And Herod, out of being um, probably drunk a little bit at this point, and being happy with the dance that Herodias did, makes a sweeping declaration. He said, whatever you ask, I will give you even half of my kingdom. This is how happy I am with your performance. I'll give you anything. So Herod makes this grand promise in front of everyone. The girl then consults with her mother, Herodias, and her mother told her to ask for John the Baptist's head on a platter. So basically, her mother wanted John the Baptist killed because of what John the Baptist was saying about her and Herod. But if you think about it, that's kind of a bad deal, right? Because she could have asked for half the kingdom like Herod offered. And then when she received half the kingdom, she could have ordered her own soldiers to kill John the Baptist. That way, she would have had a win-win kingdom and John the Baptist's head. But that's not what the passage is all about. It was a bad deal, but that's not what the passage was all about. She was too consumed with getting John the Baptist that getting John the Baptist was enough for her. And so that's what she asked for. Herod, hearing about this, did not like the idea. However, because he made a public statement that he would fulfill anything that Herodias' daughter would ask of him, he didn't want to be embarrassed. He didn't want to lose face as someone who would not fulfill his promise in front of everyone. And so he obliged. He had John beheaded and his head served on a platter. That was the flashback sequence that we see up until verse 29. And that gives us context as to why Herod was scared. Because suddenly, there was this new prophet going from one town to another, performing miraculous deeds and talking about the kingdom of God coming. And he thinks to himself that he was being haunted by what he did to John, which he knew was wrong. So in the passage, Jesus 
is being compared to John. That's what we see. But if we look at the Gospel of Mark, this is not the first time that Jesus is compared to John. Now let's look at the other instances when this happens. We see this from the very first chapter. In Mark chapter 1, verses 2 to 5, it says, It is written in the prophet Isaiah, Behold, I am sending my messenger ahead of you. He will prepare your way. The voice of one crying out in the wilderness, Prepare the way of the Lord. Make his paths straight. Hence, John the Baptist appeared in the desert, proclaiming a baptism of repentance for the forgiveness of sins. People from the entire Judean countryside and all the inhabitants of Jerusalem went out to him, and as they confessed their sins, they were baptized by him in the Jordan River. What we find in this passage early from the Gospel of Mark, if you notice chapter 1, verse 2, so pangalawang verse pa lang to, minensyo na ni Mark si John the Baptist, and he refers to John the Baptist as the prophet who prepares the way for the Lord. And that is the role of John the Baptist, as we might be familiar with. Sige, let's read onward. In verses 6 to 8, it says, John was clothed in a garment of camel's hair, with a leather belt around his waist, and his food consisted of locusts and wild honey. And this was the message he proclaimed, One who is far more powerful than I am is coming after me. I am not worthy even to stoop down and loosen the straps of his sandals. I have baptized you with water, but he will baptize you with the Holy Spirit. John, of course, is referring to Jesus here. The very first person who compares John the Baptist to Jesus was himself in the Gospel of Mark. He compares himself to Jesus, talking about how someone greater than he, which is Jesus, is coming after, and all he is doing is preparing the way. Right after this, Jesus approaches John and gets himself baptized by John. And then right after Jesus was baptized by John, John is arrested. So in verse 14 of chapter 1, it says, After John had been arrested, Jesus came to Galilee proclaiming the gospel of God. Ito na, next start na fulfillment, di ba? John is paving the way as the prophet for Jesus. John baptizes Jesus right after he speaks of these things. And then right after John had been arrested, when he was out of the picture, Jesus begins his ministry. So Jesus began after John had paved the way. He was arrested by whom? He was arrested by Herod. And then what happens? Bam, 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 bam. We see a series of events where Jesus does so many things. He calls his first disciples and then left and right, he heals so many people even before chapter 1 ends. This goes on until the two-thirds, two-thirds of the way through of chapter 2, where we find our next passage. Mark chapter 2, verse 18. It says, John's disciples and the Pharisees were observing a fast. Some people came to Jesus and asked, Why do John's disciples and those of the Pharisees fast, but your disciples do not do so? Here we see another instance. John is being compared to Jesus again. This time, it wasn't John doing the comparing by himself. It was other people, 
the followers of Jesus and the followers of John were being compared to one another. And thus, Jesus and John were being compared to one another. Ito na, we're beginning to see a pattern, a comparison, a constant comparison between Jesus and John the Baptist. Even though, from the very beginning, John the Baptist says that Jesus was greater than himself. This is part of what we mean when we're talking about identifying patterns. Diba? We're paying attention to all of the different instances when John the Baptist appeared throughout the Gospel of Mark, and we're trying to take notice of the similarities, the similar themes, the similar patterns of events that we find. And this is one of the things that we see. John the Baptist constantly compared to Jesus. Let's fast forward to chapter 6. This was during a time when Jesus had done so much more in his ministry, and we see Herod in a state of confusion. Ito yung, dito galing yung passage na binasa natin kanina. Diba? This was when Herod had the flashback of what he did with John. Diba? Jesus was growing in popularity already. He hears about Jesus. He thinks of John. And so another time that we see John compared to Jesus was through the eyes of Herod. After that passage that we read from the start with Herod, Jesus feeds the 5,000. So a great multitude of people, Jesus miraculously multiplies bread in order to give food to all of them. And then after this, Jesus walks on water. We see this as the context of Mark chapter 6, verses 45 to 52. The story of Jesus walking on water happens right after Jesus feeds the 5,000. Kaya yung umpisa, the beginning of this passage, is Jesus um, handling or managing the many people who were there. He dismisses the crowd while he sends his apostles away on a boat. Let's read it. Mark 6, 45-52 Immediately afterward, Jesus instructed his disciples to get into the boat and to go on ahead to Bethsaida on the other side of the lake while he dismissed the crowd. And when he had taken leave of them, he went up on the mountain to pray. When evening came, the boat was far out on the water while he was alone on the shore. He could see that the disciples were having difficulty in rowing the boat in the face of a headwind. Around the fourth watch of the night, he came toward them, walking on the water. He was going to pass by them. But when the disciples saw him walking on the water, they thought it was a ghost, and they cried out, for they had seen him and were terrified. Immediately he spoke to them, saying, Have courage, it is I. Do not be afraid. Then he got into the boat with them, and the wind died down. They were utterly astounded, for they had not understood about the loaves. Their minds were closed. This passage does not mention John the Baptist, but the reason why I read this to you is because it happens right after Herod, we are told of Herod killing John the Baptist, diba? and Herod being confused, wrestling with Jesus' identity. And then we are shown right after that Herod turns out to not be the only one who is wrestling with Jesus' identity. Turns out even his disciples were wrestling with who he was. Diba? After walking on water and causing the winds to die down, it says that they were utterly astounded. They had not understood and their minds were closed. They were at a loss regarding who this Jesus guy really is. 
even though they've been spending time with him, they've been following him around already, and he, they've been seeing all that he's been doing and hearing all that he's been teaching. And this is another theme that we see throughout the Gospel of Mark. Different people being challenged with the identity of Jesus. Sino ba talaga to? Right? From someone who is far away from Jesus, like Herod, to the people who Jesus traveled with, his disciples, they were all being challenged with the identity of this guy. Who is he? What is he? <laughs> and that's what we see. After this, after this event, Jesus walking on water and the disciples being confused, he continues to heal some more people. He confronts some Pharisees, and then he feeds another big crowd. This time, it's 4,000. Iba yung 5,000 sa 4,000. Okay, iba, iba yung feeding ng dalawang yun. So Mark, as we see, is very action-packed. Surud-surud, ang daming nangyayari per chapter. This series of events paves the way for what happens in chapter 8, the halfway mark of the Gospel of Mark. Kasi diba, chapter 16 chapters lang ang Mark. Chapter 8 is kind of the middle. And this is very important. This is a very important part na may build up from chapters 1 to 7 as we've read in the different passages that we've gone through already. The confusion about the identity of Jesus has been brewing. And now, Jesus addresses his disciples about it directly. In Mark chapter 8, verses 27-28, it says, Then Jesus and his disciples set out for the villages of Caesarea Philippi. Along the way, he asked his disciples, Who do people say that I am? They responded, Some say John the Baptist, others say Elijah, and still others, one of the prophets. Did you see that? Jesus asked his followers, his closest group of disciples, who do people say that I am? Anong sagot nila? Who's the first person that came to their mind? They say, Some say John the Baptist. They're making the connection again, comparing Jesus to John the Baptist. And then what did they say? They gave other answers, diba? They said, Some say John the Baptist. Others say Elijah. Others, one of the prophets. Wait, where have we seen that pattern before? John the Baptist, Elijah, prophets. John the Baptist, Elijah, prophets. If we go back to the first passage that we read, when it was Herod who was wondering who this Jesus guy is, back in chapter 6, the people around Herod were saying different things. What did they say? They said, maybe it's John the Baptist raised from the dead. Maybe he is Elijah. Maybe he is a prophet like the prophets of old. John the Baptist, Elijah, prophets. It's the same pattern. We find the same pattern in Mark chapter 8 where Jesus was asking his disciples that we find in Mark chapter 6 when it was Herod who was wondering who Jesus is. It's the same pattern. So we're seeing this build up, this confusion about the identity of Jesus. Sino ba talaga to? And it was Jesus here in chapter 8 asking them, himself, who do people say that I am? What we find here is Herod and the disciples. They were all wrestling with the same reality, the identity of Jesus. But they were doing so in different directions. Because the disciples were growing closer to Jesus, while Herod 
he was distant and away. The last statement we were left of him was about his guilt of what he did to John. So Jesus asked, diba, who do people say that I am? And then he follows this up with an even more important question. In Mark 8, 29-30, it says, But you, he asked, who do you say that I am? And then Peter answered him, You are the Christ. Then he gave them strict orders not to tell anyone about him. That's the question. This is the question that Jesus asks his disciples. Who do you say that I am? But I believe that this is also the question that Mark is asking us, the readers of his gospel. Who do you say that Jesus is? After reading all of these things that he has done, all of these things that he has said, all of these things that other people say about him, who do you say that he is? That's very important. What Jesus said is valuable. What Jesus did is valuable. But the Gospels, particularly the Gospel of Mark, places a special level of importance on who Jesus is. Not just what he said, not just what he did, but who he is. As if his identity who he is, was the message. When we're reading the Bible, there's so much that we can learn, so much wisdom, some parts history that we can learn. We can talk about morality and theology and so on and so forth. All of these things are important. But I think one of the most central elements or messages of the Bible is Christology. Who is Jesus? And what we find here is a feedback loop. As we read more about the text, we find out more about Jesus. And as we find out more about Jesus, we understand more. We see more clearly what is written here. And the thing about Jesus is that he's not just any historical figure. He's not just like Jose Rizal or someone like George Washington or someone like, you know, that it's fine, you know, it's it's kind of cool, kind of important to know more about him and so that we could learn from what he did and so on and so forth. Of course, that's important too. The historicity is very important. But Jesus is not just someone to know about. He is someone to be known by. He is someone to know. This is what we find. Who do you say that I am? All of this background is part of why Peter's declaration was very important. You are the Christ. You are the Christ. And through that declaration, he affirms that Jesus is greater than John the Baptist. Kasi yun yung comparison ng una, di ba? Who do people say that I am? Some say John the Baptist. But Peter says, no, you are the Christ. Greater than John the Baptist. And then what does Jesus do? Jesus tells his apostles not to tell others about it. Why? Because they would likely misunderstand. We also dedicated a specific episode about this, why Jesus constantly told the people he would heal and teach not to tell others about who he is. It's called the Messianic Secret. I'm going to link to that in the description also if you haven't listened to that yet. So again, what we find here is the constant wrestling with the identity of Jesus. And it's not done yet, because even after this, actually immediately after this, 
Peter still didn't understand who Jesus was. I mean, he, he spoke the right words, but he didn't fully understand yet what it meant for Jesus to be the Messiah. And he gets rebuked by Jesus. But at least he said the right words. In the chapter right after this, in Mark 9, we have the transfiguration where Jesus appears in his glorified form together with his closest disciples. He gives them a vision of what could be and who joins him up in that mountain of transfiguration. He is joined by Moses and Elijah, the same Elijah who was also constantly compared to John and to himself. And here we are shown that not only is Jesus greater than John the Baptist, but Jesus is greater than Elijah as well. As an honorable mention, we also have another instance in Mark chapter 11. I'm mentioning a lot of verses here. Don't worry, I'm going to put them in the description. But in Mark chapter 11, verses 27 to 33, there was an instance when Jesus' authority was being questioned by the Pharisees. John was long dead when this happened. So Jesus was being questioned by the Pharisees, and in response, what does Jesus do? He brings up John the Baptist. The Pharisees were challenging Jesus' authority. And Jesus challenges them to acknowledge at least the authority of John the Baptist. To acknowledge that it was legitimate. Because by doing that, he's getting them to simultaneously acknowledge that his authority, his own authority, is greater. They didn't want to say it, and so they said, we don't know. And there we find once more a group of people struggling with the identity of Jesus. But this time, they were being stubborn about it. They were challenging Jesus not to ask an honest question, but to try to get him to say the wrong thing. And what does Jesus say in response? Jesus points back to John the Baptist, who paved the way for him. And this is what we find. Until his death, John the Baptist paved the way for Jesus. And this is very much in keeping with what Mark does. Mark gives us his personal comments on who Jesus is only in the very first verse of the entire gospel. It says, The beginning of the gospel of Jesus Christ, the Son of God. That's Mark 1.1. After this, so Mark tells us that he believes that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God. And then after this, it's all action. Immediately, this is what Jesus did. Immediately, this is what Jesus did. This is where he went. This is what he said. And we see the different reactions of the different people that he comes in contact with. Because after Mark gives us his personal commentary on who Jesus is, he wants us, the readers, to wrestle with knowing that identity, seeing a glimpse of that identity through what Jesus did and said and what others thought of him. At the very end of the Gospel of Mark, when Jesus was crucified before the resurrection, of course, we have another affirmation of Jesus' identity. But this time it comes not from one of his followers, but from one of the Romans, one of the people who crucified him. It says in Mark 15, 37-39, Then Jesus cried out in a loud voice and breathed his last and the veil of the sanctuary was torn in two from top to bottom. When the centurion, who was standing facing him, saw how Jesus had breathed his last, he said, Truly this man was the Son of God. 
The beginning of Mark has an affirmation of Jesus' identity. The ending of Mark has an affirmation of Jesus' identity. The middle of Mark, when Jesus asked his apostles, who do you say that I am, has an affirmation of Jesus' identity. And sprinkled across the different parts of Mark, particularly in the first half, we find Jesus being compared to John the Baptist. Why? Because the people themselves who were around Jesus and around John were wrestling with the identity of Jesus. My invitation for you is to bring this to prayer. Who do you say that I am? That's Jesus' question to all of us. If it would help, you could go through these passages again and reflect on them, pray with them at your own time. Like I said, I'm going to put all of these in the description for you. And galing, no? How all of these different parts are interconnected. And we've just looked at the Gospel of Mark here. These repeated themes and repeated connections, these patterns, we find this across the different stories of the Bible, the different books of the Bible. And so... Learning about that would be very much helpful in appreciating the Bible better. That brings us to the end of this episode. Thank you very much for listening all the way through. You'll find all of my links in the description, including how to support this podcast financially, because that is something that I would very much appreciate and that would be very helpful in helping make this happen continually and improve the kind of work that we're doing so that we could reach more people with this kind of teaching. Again, thank you very much for your support and for your prayers, and I'll see you in our next episode. Bye!